0: you have a good Christmas? I brought one of my favorite Christmas presents. Anybody get this for Christmas? About three decades ago? For those of you who are too young, this was our version of Xbox. (laughs) This was PlayStation and you put your hands on these white dials and you would draw a picture. And I had friends who could draw like the Mona Lisa seascapes. I could only do stairs. I never got past (laughs) stairs going up and down. But this is kind of a picture of our life. You know, we put our hands on the dial and we're trying to draw whatever we think we want our life to look like. And every one of us at some point gets confronted with the reality that what we're drawing with our own life doesn't match the incredible, awesome design that our Creator has for us. And we realize we can't do that. So most of us in here, what we've done is been confronted by the love and grace of Jesus and we hand the Lord our Etch-A-Sketch. You know what God does when He gets His Etch-A-Sketch? He goes like this. (laughs) But now here's where it gets a little screwy. Because what we think happens then sometimes is that God hands it back to us. And all of a sudden we put our hands back on it. And now we're trying to draw a picture all out of our own energy, all in our own way, just a different kind of picture. And sometimes that becomes incredibly burdensome for us. There's an interesting story in the New Testament where Jesus sees a crippled man. He's been crippled for 38 years. And he asks him this strange question. He looks at him and he says, Do you really want to get well? And it seems like a strange question. But I've discovered Christians, like all of us who have certain illnesses, certain sicknesses we need to heal from. But when this happens, kind of pride and weakness sets in and we begin to deny it. Image management takes over, and it leads to a fear of discovery that you can trace all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were discovered, what was the first thing they did? They hid. What, was it, what would it sound like if I asked each of you to turn to your neighbor and just share with them the biggest sin you're struggling with right now? Go ahead and just share with you know. be awfully quiet in here, wouldn't it? Because the fear of exposure, we think, will do more damage Than the illness and the addiction itself. And that's when the enemy lies to us. And he says, see, you're not really saved. Because those people you go to church with, they wouldn't think the things you think. They wouldn't do the things you do. He says, God is fed up with you. Maybe once, maybe twice. But a holy, just God can't forgive you anymore. What will people think about you? And Jesus comes and he says, do you really want to get well? But because of that we hide and we try to get well on our own. And we find ourselves in this cycle where we try harder and we fail. And failure leads to guilt and guilt leads to shame. And shame makes us hide. And we make futile promises out of our own effort and we try harder just to fail harder. Just to have more guilt and more shame and more hiddenness. And we have a Lord whose desire is that we be well. That we be glorified, that we walk with victory and joy, and that we just radiate His love to this world. That begins not with being perfect, but with being real. Because when we're real, we position ourselves in a place where God can do everything He wants to us. Because a desire for health and wholeness is not evidenced by your ability and your skill on the Etch-a-Sketch. A A desire for health and wholeness is evidenced in your brokenness. That's why Jesus taught, blessed are the broken. And brokenness comes from an honest self-examination. My kids pulled out Christmas videos from 15 years ago. And I'm watching myself 15 years ago, and I'm looking at the TV set, and all I can think to myself is, that can't be me, because I am not that ugly. (laughs) Sometimes self-examination can be this difficult thing. God wants you to be well this year. He wants you to be healthy this year. But it starts with being real with where you're at. My wife and I know this couple, young couple, had young kids, And surprisingly to all of us, the man ran away with another woman. And it was this young mom. She had to get an extra job, she had to work hard. And Christians would come around her and they'd say, you know, just be strong for your kids, be tough and persevere through this. And I valued the effort that she was putting forth, but I could also tell that on the inside she was dying. And so my wife and I invited her over for dinner and right away we said, how you doing? And she started talking about how I've just got to be strong and I've got to be tough. And I interrupted her and I said, Ann, God only wants one thing from you. He just wants you to be real. And if being real at this moment is coming to him with open arms saying, Jesus, i got nothing left. I'm exhausted and I'm empty. If that's what being real is, then be real. Because in your weakness, He will be strong and you will be led to health and to wholeness. All He wants us to do is to be real. That we could discover this year His love and His acceptance that would enable us to be real. Because you know what the right idea of the Etch-A-Sketch is? We give our life to the Lord. He shakes it up. But He doesn't give it back to us. He grabs us and He brings us to Him. And then He wraps His arms around us. He says, okay, let's do this together now. Day by day, let's simply walk step by step and let's do this together. Paul wrote this in Second Corinthians when he said, Listen, the Lord makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And some of us have walked through this last year trying to do this Christianity thing on our own with kind of this fake image, and it's heavy boots that you walk in. And this year, the Lord wants you to take off those boots and put on some dancing shoes, and just day by day, delight in where you're at and move you forward. I, was, I fly a lot, and I was getting on a plane. So I was talking to a guy before I got on the plane, found out he was a Christian. It was nice to talk to him. We kind of shared our faith. Got on the plane, and when I get on a plane, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything. I put the newspaper up. I hate flying. I want to get it done with. So about 10 or 15 minutes into the flight, I look back, and I find that he's only sitting a few rows behind me. And I'm hearing, he's beginning to witness to the guy next to me. And I'm thinking, oh, Joel, you are just such a spiritual loser. Because I looked at the guy next to me, and I didn't care if he's going to heaven or hell. I just want my flight to be over with. <laughs> 15 minutes later, I look back at this guy. Now he has his Bible open. In public, he's got his Bible open. And he's sharing scripture verses. And I turn back and think, I'm not even saved. I'm not going to open my Bible in public and show it to people. I look back 15 minutes later. True story. He's holding the guy's hand, saying the sinner's prayer. If. I was trying to do Christianity on my own, I would walk out of that plane with such a burden, with such heavy boots, saying, Joe, you are such a loser. But I'm not. I'm just being real. And I come before the Lord saying, Lord, this is who I am. Let me be inspired by that and move me to that. But in my dancing shoes, one day at a time, would you transform me? That's what it means to truly be real, where we create this church where others are real too, because the world needs real Christians, and the world needs a real, authentic church. When I pastored, I did a counseling session, and a husband and wife came in, and they said, we need you to talk to us, and I said, why? And they said, we're yelling at each other a lot. I said, okay, come on in. So they came in, and I start talking to them, just just got into it, and the phone rang. And I went over to answer the phone in my office, and I accidentally pushed the speakerphone button. And my wife was on the other end, and all you heard was, Joel, you're an idiot! (laughs) And in my gracious tone, I responded back, who are you calling an idiot? What do you mean? Forgetting this couple is there now with huge eyes! And my wife said, I came home and the kids are having a snowball fight inside the house. And they said, you started it. (laughs) Which, by the way, if you've never done it, it is the coolest thing to do. (laughs) It just raises the whole ante up. It's the coolest. So I I said, what do you mean? She goes, the whole downstairs is wet. I said, it'll dry. And all of a sudden I looked over at them. And their eyes are huge. And I said, honey, I'll call you back a little later. And I walked over to them thinking for sure that I had destroyed any opportunity for ministry. And the husband looked at me and all he said was this, you're real, aren't you? And I said, yeah. Marie and I, we're real. We love each other. We're learning not to yell so much. But we're real. Because when we are real, Blessed are the broken. We say, Jesus, this is who I am. And I know you love me and accept me as who I am. Would you transform me today? Would you transform me tomorrow? My prayer is that we will be a real church. that says we're not perfect, but day by day we're being transformed and we are celebrating the fact that he loves us and accepts us. And all we have to do is be real before him and allow him to transform us. God bless you. Okay.
1: Yeah. Good. All right, say give. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't, hey, Happy New Year, everyone. For those of you that don't know, this is my wife, Gail, 31 years. Stand up, honey. Say hi. Well, I'll just wave anyway. <laughs> she woke me up in the middle of the night last night and she said, uh, I shot you in my dreams. And I said... <laughs> I pulled her close. I said, "Honey, that that was Mark you shot." <laughs> so as she was as she was flipping off, she said, "God be praised." <laughs> I said, "Amen." <laughs> you know, another one of the key values that uh, that's present here at Celebration Church is caught in the word "belong," and we want folks to belong here. There are two ways we need to think about this idea of belonging the first way is that we need to make sure that every one of the campuses that carry the banner of celebration church are places where people are welcome that uh, no matter who you are no matter where you've been from or come from or what you've been through we want people to know that they belong here but that takes some discipline It takes some discipline and a shot of God's love, you know, in your soul. Uh, It's what it takes for you to genuinely appreciate people. Why? Because it's so easy uh, to fall in the temptation of stereotyping people, of thinking you know them when you really don't know them based on something external, the way that they dress, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they talk. Uh, Leo Buscaglia writes, quote, Black man, Chicano. Protestants Catholics Jews all you have to do is hear a label and you think you know everything about that person no one ever bothers to say does he cry does that person feel does does she understand does she have hopes does he love his kids instead we let labels master us but labels are just words. But you, he continues, if you're a loving person, you will not let words rule you. You will tell yourself what this word means only after you find out by experience what it means. And not by believing what other people have told you that it means. End quote. See, we have made a conscious decision here to allow people to belong. A conscious decision to love people instead of just pigeonholing them or judging them with labels or external judgments. Here's a curious statement made by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. He claims, for Christ's love compels us, or another version says, controls us or manages us. What manages you when you look at people? what they look like, how they treat you. But he says Christ's love compels us, it controls us, it manages us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. In other words, there's some sense that all of us are a community of equals, that we all matter because of the value God put in us by sending Jesus to die for all of us. And Paul continues in verse 16. He says, because of this dynamic, because we're controlled by the love of Christ, he says, from now on, we don't regard people from a worldly point of view. We, we don't just look at people and react to them based upon what we see in the externals. See, God wants us to realize That he loves everyone recklessly and incautiously. And as his representatives, that we're to do the same. Jesus one time talked about how we're most like the Father when we realize that he sends sunshine on good people and bad people. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, the right and the wrong. It's that that on some level, God loves people just because they exist. And he calls us as his church to make sure we communicate that sense of belonging that sense of being valued no matter how people act no matter where they're from god wants us to realize he doesn't love people based on externals of race or nationalism or economic status or intelligent quotients that, that he, he doesn't want us to think that he cares more for people because they're Americans. That he cares as much for Libyans or Iraqis or Haitians or Afghans as much as he does Americans. And that God doesn't favor doctors over homeless people. And he doesn't favor seminarians over illegal immigrants. That God just loves everyone. God wants us to realize that he loves homosexuals and prostitutes and drug users and abortionists as much as he loves the babies and the grandmas. That doesn't mean he's happy about what people do. In fact, sometimes he hates what people do. But the reason he hates what people do is not because he hates people, but because he knows that much of what we do destroys our lives. And he hates us destroying his creation. God wants us to realize that what, what, what we should do when we see people is, is arrest our propensity to label them and arrest our, our propensity to sort of pigeonhole them, but instead, or see through them. But instead, that we're to, we're to decide to focus on God's perspective. How does God see this person? How does he view them in his heart? The Bible says that God sees us as his image. The Bible says that God thinks a person is worth Jesus. I mean, that he was willing to pay Jesus' life for a connection with them. And we have to ask the question to ourselves, what are people worth to us? See, understand this, that this is a value that Mark has said, that, that that we as a congregation or multiple congregations need to fall on the sword over that when you say celebration church that a big part of that means we celebrate not only God but people. People matter to God so they must matter to us. everyone in this room matters. The good news is you don't have to be anything but open to God to belong here as Joel was suggesting. We don't care if you're white or black or yellow or green. And uh, we don't care if you're a hand raiser or if you're tattoo friendly or tattoo phobic. You can be a rabid TBN viewer and you're welcome here. Or a Christian radio listener. Or you can be a person who refuses to listen to contemporary Christian music because it depresses you. We even welcome the confused. Confused. You may be here and you're thinking, well, I'm missional and evangelical, liberal yet conservative. I'm mystical, biblical, charismatic, fundamentalist, Calvinist, Anabaptist, Anglican, Methodist, Catholic, green, incarnational, depressed yet hopeful, emergent, unfinished Christian. Where do I fit? You fit here. (laughs) You, You can even be a struggling little sinner person. You little nasty. (laughs) And you're welcome here. Our trust is you won't continue in your nastiness, but your superfluities of naughtiness will be cleansed from you. (laughs) But everyone's welcome here. But that's not the end. The second way that we need to think about belonging is not just that you're welcome here, but that you need to realize that belonging means you're being called to something beyond yourself. That when you belong here, you're to embrace with us the mission, the call, the burden, the vision of what God is calling this house to be. When I say call uh, to something bigger than yourself, we're not talking about coercion to something bigger than yourself. We're talking about something that you must choose to participate in. See, a church this size and the culture that's been trying to cultivate this and the campuses that are multiple as they grow from this place, it's going to be a place where either you can have great success or great failure. Nobody's going to force you into anything. And really, the the real secret of whether you're succeeding, whether you're failing, a big part of that is is, is, uh, this idea Mark said yesterday. I love this when he was talking about the vision. He said he's not interested in making this a cult. In other words, he's not interested in making all of us think the same way about everything. Even though I wish he thought more like me. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> he, said that be, he said that really because he respects us. And uh, he respects our right to think. and Cognize and conceptualize. And perceive and understand. And comprehend and cogitate differently. That, that there, that it is a wonderful place to be when you're a- enabled to think. Where we know that the core values of Jesus being Lord and us being open to him as a people is really the center value of this place. And yet, how we think about other things, we have the right to think differently. The only downside to an open culture is that you and I must choose the depth to which we belong here. Nobody's going to tell you how deep to go. Nobody's going to force you into any depth. Truth be told, the happiest people in the world... And psychologists have done studies, you know, where they try to find commonalities between happy people and people that seem to have the brightest outlook. And they always find this central truth, that the happiest people are people who are committed to something beyond themselves. What an opportunity you have to belong here, to actually be committed to something bigger than you. You will not be happy here if you make being here just about yourself. If you just come here to get a little shot of encouragement, I mean, you can do that for a while, but at some point... I think you need to push to the place where you lock into this thought. This is my house. This is my family. And because I belong here, I need to carry a part of the load of this house. I need to belong here. Which begs the question, what will it take for you to be able to say, this is my church. This is my place. This is my body. This is my home. See, I think the only thing that's really needed to do that is... Decide to take the risk. Jump in. It's a risk because maybe some of you have been hurt in the past by leaders or by churches. And you know, the human side of faith, people get beat up a lot because we're humans, right? This isn't heaven yet, right? And, And you may want to stay at arm's length because it feels safer. Maybe you just like to come, you know, you've been coming for six months and you think, you still consider yourself a visitor. It's always easier to be a visitor always easier or or maybe you're sort of a quasi member where you come here once in a while uh, but you're not sure you want to be all that consistent you're more like those old uh, almond joy mounds commercials sometimes you feel like a nut sometimes you don't (laughs) sometimes you feel like coming sometimes you don't and you're letting your emotions govern you because you're really letting your own self be king of the kingdom instead of christ be king and his people and realizing that faith is as corporate as it is individual And you need to join yourself with others. You need to belong with others. Belonging is risky. But the truth is, not belonging to a spiritual family is even riskier. So some of you, in 2008, need to take the plunge. You need to roll up your sleeves. You need to pull out your checkbooks. You need to come out of being a closet celebration church member. (laughs) to a participating and engaged member of this house because you buy into the fact that you belong. If that's you, don't procrastinate. Jump in, baby. God bless you.
2: That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Fabulous. Good stuff. We're very blessed with the ministries that we have. Encourage us here and... uh, Joel talking about being real. I love that. I love that story about the yelling. This is a wonderful thing. This is great. I've, I've, I've counseled many couples who come to me because they're yelling at each other. And I, and I say, what's the matter? I say, well, we yell at each other. And and I start laughing. And uh, and I said, well, can you yell? I said, sure you can yell. Just don't be mean, but you can yell. Goodness gracious. And, and I was counseling for a while. And almost inevitably, my wife will call me on the phone and start yelling at me about something. And I... Uh, <laughs> It, it happens a lot, it really does. That was a God moment, I'm telling you. That's what those people needed to hear more than anything, than any great wisdom. And, and I've actually had a couple say, y- you planned that, didn't you? I said, no. You, know, you mean you yell? Yeah. I can't imagine why she would ever want to yell at me, but yes. <laughs> yes. So what? <laughs> there's, there's people in the church, every time I see them, just about every time I say, I, I ask them, are you still yelling at each other? And they go, yeah. I said, great. Praise God, keep it up. You'll be fine. So what? Just don't be mean. Don't be nasty. Being real. Actually, that's the easiest part for me of the three. I've got to be honest. With you. And I tend to be a little bit too real. <laughs> I know I do. I do. Actually, you have no idea. I know you giggle, giggle when I say this. But I, I'm shocked when I come here and you are still all here. <laughs> I, I am. I'm just convinced. Surely I've insulted enough people they will stop coming and, uh, and, and, I, and Wednesday for some for Wednesday morning I told my wife I said I got man I've just been so discouraged lately I just I don't know just you know I just and, and I came Wednesday night and this church was just so full of people I got up there and said you realize it's Wednesday right? And, and you keep coming and it just encourages me and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little too real sometimes, that's okay. But uh, if I'm not quite sure how to be real in a circumstance, I just think about what, what most pastors would do and they just do the opposite. And uh, <laughs> uh, The belonging, that's a little harder, that's what Eddie's talking about, that's more of a stretch, you know, and because we don't all agree with each other and uh, you know we kid around about this but it's really true ask our wives he, he and I we argue a lot we're usually about stuff that doesn't matter you know I don't think any of it really matters <laughs> but we do we, you know when Joel said turn to the person next to you and confess your sins Eddie looked at me and said I hate you Secret, <laughs> so, I hate you too man it's fabulous you know We don't really hate each other we don't agree about it
1: so what
2: sorry we don't agree about everything oh pastor if we disagree with you you yell at us from the pulpit no no just that people get over the line and get mean and demanding and critical about it. that's the only time I have people disagree with me all the time i just said where's marion ross she i just saw her she's gonna die me even mentioning her name where's little marion raise your hand. where are you at I maybe she's hiding Maybe she's down on the uh, campus Great, wonderful, sweet little lady she, Just before the service She sat down oh, We had a nice talk And she talked to me for a half hour While she absolutely disagreed with me About a certain subject But she was respectful And kind and wonderful And great And it was fabulous You know At the end she said I know you still don't agree with me I said yeah you're right <laughs> But I have more respect for her I'm at least more sensitive To her concerns and stuff I said Marion this is beautiful This is the way we should be doing stuff. People say look We don't all agree But you know, this is a church where we don't all have to agree about everything. Especially things that don't really matter. There are some things that really do matter. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. You know. The Bible being the word of God. You know, not everything's clear in the Bible. It's just not. You know, Paul, read the writings of Paul. It's hard to understand what he's talking about half the time. I love Peter because in Peter you can read where Peter writes, Paul... Who knows what he's talking about half the time? You know, it's great. Even Peter couldn't understand him half the time. You know, we don't figure it all out. That's okay. But we can still belong. A little bit harder. But uh, of the three, the be real, the belong, and the becoming, the becoming, that's really, that's the hardest. That's really the hardest because uh, it requires something that most of us don't have a lot of. And that's patience. James, 1st chapter, verse 4, in King James, he says, I love the way it words this, he says, let patience have her perfect work. You've got to let patience have its perfect work. Well, I can't, I can't, I'm too impatient. But being impatient does not speed along the process. It's like people who are, you know, they're pushing the elevator button. They're just coming unglued, you know, it's not a pump. It's not going to come any faster. Well, I can't be patient. But it doesn't speed it up. If you will just let patience say, Okay, look, I'm going to chill. It's okay. I'm not there yet. We're not there yet. I'm going to chill. And just let patience have its perfect work. God can do His work in you. But rest assured, being impatient or patient, either way, does not speed the process along. When it comes to becoming What God wants you to become, it just takes time. You know, it's easier to to let patience have its perfect work when you realize that the dream that God has put inside of you came from God. He has that dream for you. He knows you're not there yet. He gets it. You know that. But He's continuing to work in you. Just to stance the logic. If, If God has given you The dream, that he will help you achieve that dream. But you have to understand, there's usually a big time lag between the dream and the reality. And most people come unglued because we don't get it right away. Uh, you even read about it in the Bible. Joseph, you remember Joseph, you know, with the technicolor dream coat, whatever the deal was. You know, God gives him this vision, and he has this dream of, of he is being the one who's helping the whole family, and all the families coming to him for help. And he shares with his family this incredible dream. I'm sure he thought it would happen right away. But it didn't happen right away. In fact, all the brothers got really ticked off at him. They were gonna kill him. So instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. This was the nice version. We won't kill you, we'll sell you. Thanks, guys. All because of this dream. And Joseph, really, for all practical purposes, goes through hell for years and years and years and years. I'm sure there were days when he's sitting in prison, office of slaves, thinking, what happened to the dream? Easy to get angry at God, bitter, discouraged, but he didn't. And eventually the dream became real. As after years and years and years later in life, he does rise to one of the highest positions in the land of Egypt. There was no one higher than him, the Bible says, than the Pharaoh himself. And sure enough, one day the family comes. They didn't even recognize him, asking for help. And the dream becomes real. A reality. It takes time. Moses had a dream of being a deliverer of God's people. He gets all excited. He goes out, kills an Egyptian, thinks he's helping. He's not helping. He's rushing things. Now he's got to run for his life. He winds up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. 40 years with goats. For 40 years. He has us in fear Incredible dream, and he's to with, with animals and in the desert and oh, it would have been so easy to get become so bitter and discouraged. But yet 40 years later, God comes to him and says, Hey, time for the dream to become fulfilled. And Moses, is thinking, what are you talking about? He says, look, go back, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the incredible things that happen as a result don't be discouraged that you're not yet achieving what God has put in your heart be patient he's at work in you he's not done with you yet I'm going to have the ushers come forward get ready for our time of communion and uh, speaking of patience uh, do we have enough communion for all these people I if if you don't get everything you need if you don't get the right flavor when it goes by Okay, just be patient. All right, it'll be fine. Uh, Volunteer next week, you can help. And, uh, and, you know, we get stuff ready and then more people come. And it's like, you can't quite keep up with it all. But uh, fabulous. Communion, great time. Reflection, examining ourselves. Where are we at? Where am I at with being real? Where am I at with belonging? Where am I at with becoming? The Bible says when we take communion, a man, a woman should examine themselves. That's why we do it at the end of the service. After hearing the word of God, where am I at with this? As we reflect on this incredible sacrifice. Jesus' body being broken for us. His blood being shed for us. But let me ask you this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't really have a very strong... Connection to God in your life. And, and let me talk specifically to guys. Because this really affects guys a lot. There's a lot of guys. I'm sure there's a bunch of you here this morning. The only reason you're here is your wife dragged you. Your girlfriend made you. Or your mom made it impossible for you if you didn't come. That's okay. But a lot of guys, the reason why it's so hard for them to connect with faith. connect with, Because they have dreams inside of them. They have dreams and visions of what they want to do with their lives, what what they want their lives to become, and they don't see God as being part of the dream, and and church seems irrelevant to you. I get it. In fact, some of you are convinced church is a dream killer. If I get God in my life, I'll ruin everything. But, But let me ask you a question, like my brother Ed would say, what if, what if those dreams inside of you come from God? Honestly, some of you guys, you know, you've had this picture of what you want your life to be. You've had it since a young man. Some of you since you were kids. And you're working so hard, but you can't get there. What if that dream came from God? He's a dream giver. Does it not make sense that connecting with God will help the dream that he gave you become a reality much more quickly than if you try and keep God out? of the dream some of you are chasing dreams that never become a reality you'll live your whole life struggling and you never even consider God and at the end of your life just, you're depressed you're, you're despondent you're bitter lots of guys like that they made this horrible mistake they, 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 they forgot to realize hey I God gave me this dream they never knew that if they would have connected with God God will empower you to reach the goals that he's put inside of you let me challenge you this morning Maybe it's time for you to say, you know, instead of pushing God away, maybe, maybe I need to really surrender my life to God. Let the dream giver become the dream fulfiller in my life. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer along. But if you're here this morning and you haven't taken that first step of faith in serving God, giving your life to Christ, pray this prayer with us. Mean this. Take this step, and let God become the dream fulfiller in your life let him become Lord let him start calling the shots he's on your side let's pray this together say dear Jesus I believe you are the son of God that you love me so much you went to the cross and took my punishment I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins I now surrender my life to you.
1: Amen.